obsessed with supersuits. It is the peak of imagined technology. It's like we've recognized the limits of the human body, and we have decided that all we need to become super strong, fast, and flying is robotics. From Iron Man, RoboCop, to the Gundam franchise, they are known as mech suits, exosuits, mobile suits. I wanted to know exactly what these suits do. How can we break them down into the different parts? What real-world tech is out there that would be familiar to science fiction fans? And how far away are we from the ideal supersuit? Now, this topic was actually a suggestion um, from a couple different people. I'll be honest, I'm not a huge fan of the kind of mech genre, um, as it's known in, like, anime. In fact, like, even though I'm a big MCU fan, Iron Man is not my favorite. Not even close. So, but it's an interesting topic. You know, it's definitely a huge part of science fiction. And it's one of those things that it's obviously inspired a lot of real science and and a lot of real engineering. So I wasn't resistant to the idea. It's just uh, I didn't come up with it myself. I went into this topic knowing very little about um, the supersuit kind of, it's almost like a subgenre of science fiction, and I knew even less of the real supersuits out there. If you're like me and this is a new topic for you, um, then come with me and I'll share what I've learned. This is Fact and Science Fiction. I'm your host, Carly, and this episode is about supersuits. one of the first steps I did in part of my research was to take a really hard look at what supersuits or mech suits or what have you really are in science fiction. Is it really just a plot device to make the biggest explosions ever captured on film? Or is it like real imagination of what the human body can be capable of? Obviously used as an offensive weapon. So. The Marvel movies wouldn't be as fun if Iron Man uh, just used his Iron Man suit to move around with very little effort. No, it can uh, create photon blasts. It can withstand a lot of damage from fighting. He flies into people, um, flies into villains to hurt them. So it's obviously used as an offensive weapon. Uh, has a machine gun element. That kind of thing. Um, obviously constructed with metal, um, with an operator inside, though that's not always the case. Um, there are examples in science fiction of mobile suits where they are controlled remotely, like a drone. Um, they can fly more often than not, or they're very large and they cannot fly like Pacific Rim, which I'll talk about uh, later. They are bulletproof and nearly indestructible. So so I'm going to bring up Pacific Rim now uh, just because it occurred to me. So I had never seen the Pacific Rim movies. Um, I had always just heard that the first one was really good and the second one came out. Was it 
last year. And so I just watched them all. I watched them both, um, one right after another. Well, I think there was like, I watched one on one night and then the second one on the next night. And the first one was so, so good. Guillermo del Toro was so good. He made this kind of genre just so charming and so exciting, so thrilling. And it looked really good. So whenever like the Jaegers, which is their name for the giant, and I mean giant uh, mech suits, whenever they would like get ready to fight, they would like hit their fist in their hand. And it looked so real that I was just like, how are you not damaging the suit when you do that? Now, I would never ask that question watching any of the six or seven Transformer movies, you know? They, like, hit each other or, like, punch their own hand or anything. I'm just like, yeah, whatever, not even clock it. But in Pacific Rim, it just looked so real. I was like, if this metal is really that tough, it would damage itself, wouldn't it? Like, I think it's a compliment to to that movie that I'm asking those questions. Uh, Not so much, like, a suspension of disbelief, but just, like, how real it actually looked. Anyway, so it has to be made mostly all of the time made out of metal. We've decided that that's just the toughest material there is, even in science fiction. Um, so there's uh, some sort of human-machine interface inside. So there has to be some sort of bridge between the metal shell of the suit and the human operator inside. It can't just be a shell that we move with our bodies. In fact, the human-machine interface can be like an AI assistant like Jarvis in um, Iron Man and um, augmented reality in which like, you look out of the viewer in the helmet of the suit and not only can you see what's out there perfectly with no blind spots, but it can fill in the perception with a lot of augmented information. For example, like infrared readings, X-ray readings, like all kinds of stuff. So that's pretty common in science fiction. Natural language processing is a big part in Iron Man. So when he gives Jarvis or his AI assistant commands, um, it has to uh, understand those commands immediately. Um, If you're operating a robot via like remote, like a drone, a lot of those times those are... um, verbal commands, and so the suit has to understand those. Another big part uh, that a lot of the science fiction suits, uh, RoboCop, Iron Man, Pacific Rim, is a part of the suit that monitors the physiological health of the operator or pilot. So that's always like a, you know, very high stakes part of these movies and, and mostly just seen movies and to be honest. I think it's just, not only is it an expensive effect that only uh, movies can do, but like I said, I'm not a huge fan of this genre. Uh, You know, when I go to the bookstore and I see like a book of just a super suit, uh, I'm not very interested in that. So anyway, I know that there are books and there are probably TV shows, especially anime, about the mech suits. So, um, you know, let me know if you have any recommendations. 
please convince me that these are fun um, because I am pretty interested after doing this episode. So um, a part of the suit that monitors the physiological health of the user. And then this last one is that there has to be some sort of neural link with the human operator so that that they can seamlessly move as if the uh, suit is an extension of their body. In Pacific Rim, this link was so strong that it really had to take two human pilots um, to make this giant suit function. That was a a big part of the first movie was just that if only a single operator operated one of these Jaegers, um, it would just overload their brain. And then when this suit was attacked, um, the operators or pilots at least at least looked like they were feeling it. Like when their arm was hurt, they would clutch their arm and that kind of thing. So before I move on to what mech suits are like in the real world, I have to talk, I have to complain about Pacific Rim 2. So like I said, I watched Pacific Rim 2 the night after I watched Pacific Rim, and I was so excited to watch the second one. Um, I loved, like I said, I loved the first one, thought it was so charming, so thrilling. I love the effects. I love the plot. Um, and I loved my president, Mako Mori, who at a pivotal moment in the film, she like uses a giant sword to chop a kaiju in half to avenge her family. And it was like one of the top cinematic moments of my life. And I loved her character so much. Um, Just top things in movies, which that I can watch like over and over is just a woman realizing her full potential. (sighs) Amazing. So that's what I was feeling going into Pacific Rim 2. Now, if you haven't watched it, it's on HBO. I can't recommend it. Um, I couldn't even finish the movie. Now, I know I usually don't go into like huge reviews in this podcast, but because it was so recent, um, I'm just having a lot of feelings about it. So the second one was not directed by Guillermo del Toro. It was uh, directed by someone else that I can't remember. And it just seemed to have lost its lost its charm, lost It's production value. Um, A lot of scenes, they're just, I mean, it would be like watching the green screen from like Star Wars Episode 1 or Episode 2. Like, it's just very obvious that they are not interacting with their environment at all. Um, Mako Mori dies in the first like quarter of the movie. I love John Boyega, and his character was the, like, best part. But after building up an entire world in which two pilots have to have some sort of match, some sort of, uh, they call it drift compatibility, in which they uh, can bond and control these giant Jaegers, they just completely wipe that out and just be like, oh no, these two are drift compatible. Actually, this uh, cadet can can connect with anybody. So uh, there goes that. And just the plot was really bad. I couldn't finish it. It was just so contrite. I was 
so angry. So anyway, can't recommend Pacific Rim 2. Wasn't even fun to watch. It was just annoying because of how good Pacific Rim 1 was. So anyway, that was my experience doing research for this podcast. I'm so glad I watched Pacific Rim. I'm going to buy it, own it forever. It was so great. (sighs) Okay. So after doing extensive research, brushing up on mech suits in science fiction, I looked up where this technology is today, or at least close to today. So in the real world, mech suits are constructed by, or super suits, or mobile suits, exosuits, whatever we call them. Okay, we don't call them mech suits in the real world. Um, we don't call them super suits. Um, mostly we call them um, exosuits or mobile suits. And they are constructed with metal, just like in science fiction. Um, also may use hydraulic power, so it has some sort of fluid within the limbs in order to move. Um, some of them are completely mobile. Others, they have to have some sort of uh, power line or hydraulic line um, to uh, generate the motion. So there's, uh, and there's definitely a distinction between the mobile suits that can fly and um, ones that cannot. The ones that can't fly are more prevalent just because of what they're actually used for. Flying is just not a high priority. There are suits that can fly, but they're mostly just these empty shells that have a jetpack attached to them. It's really cool. You can um, look them up on YouTube to watch videos. Looks super fun. But as far as like the actual utility suits that are used for a purpose, they do not fly. They are typically not used for an offensive weapon, at least. Not the large, um, full body suits that we see in um, science fiction. While body armor is a huge project in military applications, and this can be like full body armor, um, you wouldn't recognize it as like a suit. Most of the time, these um, these mobility suits are used to assist people with mobility and strength. So one company called Raytheon has an Exos, Exos 2. Um, so it's pronounced Exos, but it is uh, spelled X-O-S. That was developed uh, mostly for military applications to help um, help soldiers lift and move Um, Heavy objects like gear, like weapons, um, without strain. Uh, It's not a a particularly sexy problem, but uh, operator strain or, you know, ergonomic injuries cost the military and cost really private industry like millions of dollars up to billions of dollars each year. Because uh, if someone hurts their lower back, they're just out and uh, that costs a lot of money. Physical therapy costs a lot of money, and so uh, companies like Raytheon um, developed these kinds of um, this kind of equipment to aid in the motion and aid in the strength. 
So there's actually this really cool video on um, on YouTube that I watched. It was from a few years ago, but it's uh, uh, Coulson from the Marvel movies, and he went down to Raytheon to watch people use the Exos 2, and it was pretty cool, and how it would basically just not just supplement, but like almost replace the strength of the operator in order for them to lift, you know, 60 to 100 pounds of weapons or equipment, and um, they could move freely. Like the um, person who was interviewed, I don't know if actually the actor wore it. I can't really remember, but basically they would say it was like they were lifting nothing. That's how it's designed was perfected to not add weight to the human body. Because that was one of the things that is a real like problem to solve. How do you create a huge metal shell that goes over a person's body and not completely weigh them down? So the Exos 2 was able to do, do that, and then using hydraulics or electric power was able to lift heavy objects. The Springtail Exoskeleton Flying Vehicle is a suit that is also a jetpack. But like jetpack technology, it's not meant, it's not able to do like maneuvers we're used to seeing in science fiction. So remember when I talked about this technology in science fiction that's able to monitor the health of the operator? Well, the military is working on that technology right now. So if you think about it, We have wearable technology that monitors things like heart rates and um, activity. I'm wearing one right now. That's not particularly new. However, they're working on a wearable layer of a suit that uses nanotechnology to monitor things like heart rate, blood pressure. It's called the Warfighter Physiological Status Monitoring. People call it real-time physiological status monitoring. But... Who wouldn't prefer Warfighter? So these monitoring systems are also being developed in other wearable tech too. So similar to a Fitbit, except that it would be uploaded and updated to unit leaders in real time. This technology has been really helpful observing physiological data of soldiers during training. So before they weren't able to actually see what the um, trainees were going through. Um, physiologically during training in real time, and now they can. And then they can collect that data and then draw conclusions about what kind of fitness level, like they can group them all together and track it over time. It's very valuable technology into a clothing layer under a body armor or under a suit. So I've mentioned the military a lot, but this technology for especially the mobile suits and helping with mobility is also being developed for civilian applications. For example, to help like quadriplegics or other people who have lost mobility in their lower body, um, similar to Iron Patriot in the Marvel movies. So if you were to try and design as like the military and private companies and healthcare are trying to create a suit that helps with mobility or helps with um, military safety, uh, how they have some questions and some problems they have to solve. So how do you make a suit 
that is bulletproof, that is a weapon, not so heavy. Science fiction has been able to conceive of a lightweight but indestructible metal like vibranium, for instance. In order to accomplish all the things we would want the suit to do, it would have to be made out of something like that. In an episode of Mythbusters, the team embarked on creating a bulletproof suit, and they used titanium. This didn't even have the computing functions in Iron Man. It didn't have the weaponry. It was just the shell of the suit. And it was tough. It withstood bullets and a C4 explosion. But it was heavy for the operator to move in. So that's going to be number one problem. How to create the suit that can do everything we want without crushing the operator. How do we make the human-machine interface, or HMI, that operators like Iron Man can see? The military has used mounted cameras on helmets for years. Loading the live video to HQ, and in some cases displaying hyperspectral or night vision to the operator. It's a little farther away from the augmented reality we see in sci-fi, but it's not that far away. So that's really cool. Our ideal, like, height of the imagination supersuit is probably very far away. If we wanted to recreate the one from science fiction, we'd have to decide what parts are the most important. Which part do we want to recreate? For example, we can build a bulletproof titanium shell of a suit. We can affix it with physiological monitoring systems. We can affix it with a jetpack. And we can uh, slap some guns on it. We can assist the user with their strength. But we can can kind of only do those things separately. Joining all those functionalities together will create a monster of a machine. And really, the only thing we'd need all of that for would be to create a legitimate superhero. And that's really hard to get funding for, I guess. Instead, medical researchers will focus on creating mobility, assist suits, and the military will focus on creating offensive weapons or creating suits that keep soldiers safe. What I like about the applications of the supersuit technology was what I mentioned earlier. It may not be the most exciting application, but I find the Exos Exos 2 suit cool because it works. And it works with the human operator's natural function. It supplements the strength and prevents injuries. Like I said earlier, strain and ergonomic injuries are serious issues, even if it doesn't sound sexy and thrilling like a Jaeger in Pacific Rim. Of course, people will always be trying to create the ultimate supersuit. And science fiction is just real fun to think about. Research from this episode came from The Science of Robocop from Collider.com. And Real-Time Physiological Status Monitoring, Accomplishments, Requirements, and Research Roadmap from Friedel, J. Bowler, Therian, Potter, L. Manglopus, and W. Hoyt. If you want to support this podcast, there are three ways. You can become a patron on patreon.com slash factandsci-fi. There are tiers to get stickers, to suggest episode topics, and just to learn the topics of future episodes. Two, you can leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, and that helps the podcast be found by new listeners. And then number three, costs no money at all, 
You can just follow the pod on social media at Fact and Sci-Fi. The links are in the show notes. And lastly, thanks for listening. <laughs>